at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them. So grab a popcorn. And head over to our row. So we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room. For more movie friends. So sit back. Relax. And enjoy the show. Welcome. 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 To the writer's room. Hello and welcome to SifPop Writer's Room. My name is not Aaron, it is in fact Robert, and I'm one of the editors at SifPop.com, and today I'm joined by a SifPop.com writer, Jake Bourgeois. Hello! I have to differentiate now because we have three Jake slash Jacobs, and that's not even to mention the other about six J names that we have. Yeah, we, we know, start calling the Js. You know, it's, it's Hunger Games time, let's fight it out. <laughs> I think so. I want to know. I want to see if I can do it. I think we have a Jake, a Jake, a Jacob, a Joseph, a John, a Jeffrey, a Jeff, a Jason. Did I say Jason already? No. Did we have two Jeffs. There's a Jeffrey oh, and a Jeff. Yeah. yeah yep. Okay. Yeah. And Jason. Yeah. And John. I think I said it all. That's a lot. That might make Jay our most popular. Uh, oh, easily. First name letter let's see i'm just looking especially and, since yeah. i know i missed it's, jack and and uh jonathan so there's yeah, a couple more yeah oh yeah jack yeah i was just looking and that was the only one uh you because you said joe right uh i don't no i didn't say joe actually yeah, joe as well yeah and i'm looking and it's yeah i just did a quick check of the slack and it's it's not even close it's like double yeah at least. Well, the two of us and the rest of the Jays and a lot more people, we all write for SifPop.com. Um, and but we but Jake B and I are here today to talk about some of the biggest movie releases of March 2023. Uh, we're going to be talking about 65, Creed 3, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, John Wick Chapter 4, Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, uh, Shazam, Fury of the Gods. And we're each going to have one more wild card, uh, just a smaller movie that didn't quite make the cut. And scream. Did I did I say scream? I, I might I might have jumped over it. So we're talking about scream, whether or not I said it. We're in the intro. We're almost three minutes in, and normally I want to get this done in ninety seconds or less. And I still have half a paragraph to read. If you're listening to this and you don't want to hear us talk about every one of these movies, uh, time codes are in the episode description, um, so you can skip around. Um, we shouldn't be discussing spoilers, though. If we do, uh, I will definitely say it beforehand and we could even wait till the end if we uh, need to come back to a movie to discuss spoilers so you can be safe there. Lastly, we will be rating each one of these movies on the classic Sif Pop scale of like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay. So with all that out of the way, let's get into these movies. Since I like to go alphanumerically, we're going to start with 65, which I haven't paid attention to the box office, but I don't think this made a huge dent. And uh, I think it made like one million opening weekend. Oh, excellent! <laughs> like nobody saw it. <laughs> That's what you aim for. Yeah. Well, I, at the beginning of the month, uh, I like to guess what I think are going to be the biggest movies to talk about on here, and I said, "Hey, Adam Driver and dinosaurs." So let, let's talk about this. Well, and we'll talk about why I'm sure the studios thought would, this would be a hit because there's certainly some parallels that sure. they try to play off of. I'm just going to read the quick IMDb synopsis, which says an astronaut crash lands on a mysterious planet only to discover he's not alone. So Jake, uh, what were your thoughts? What was your, 
rating, I guess, on 65. Yeah, didn't like it. <laughs> okay. Did not like it. Um, we might have some differing views on a couple of these, at least this one, because I'm not ready to say that I liked it necessarily, but it was better than I thought, and I would say probably high side of okay. Um, well, so and- since I've done the most talking, tell me why you didn't like it. Yeah, and here's the thing, because we we talked about this after it flopped and uh, sort of got reviewed by the, you're like, oh, we don't have to see it. Right. So I'm like, no, it, it'll push my screen showing back a whole 30 minutes. It's fine. I can go in. with with expectations, you know, lowered to the floor. Uh-huh. I went into it thinking, you know, maybe I can at least have some fun with it. You know, Adam Driver versus Dinosaurs. You know, there's got to be fun with that. But um, I'm one of those people where if something bugs me right off the top, Mm. it's just it just sort of gets me in my head, in my own head for the entire movie. That's generally not a good thing. So when I go into this movie, just hoping for dumb, stupid, fun dinosaur action, and it starts with this like over serious planet earthy you know type intro it immediately lost me like right off the bat i'm like oh this movie is gonna try to be way too serious and i think for the most part that's sort of my biggest problem mm-hmm. it tries to have stakes and be serious and i'm like that just know what movie you are, and that isn't it. At least it wasn't for me. See, I agree that there's this uh, over-self-seriousness, but mm-hmm. to me it leaned almost into an endearing campiness, whether the movie was trying to do it or not. Um, and I really have no idea if it's trying to or not. But I wanted to get there with it. Yeah. So did, if you help me out, where mm-hmm. where are some of those moments where that sort of came across for you? Because that's that's what I wanted, I think, to get from this movie. And aside from one small moment, I never really got that fun aspect. It starts off with this opening text where it's like 65 million years ago. They go to Earth. And it's like, oh, so this is like what looks like to us a futuristic civilization, but it's actually millions and millions and millions of years ago. Yeah. That right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. That that right away clues me into some campiness. And then the fact that it follows um basically the entire time, and this is like a 90-minute movie, it follows conventions of like this sort of survival genre. You know, he gets separated. He meets this little girl. They have to survive. They have to get to the ship across the place. They get attacked. And I'm just like, it's not at all trying to do anything new. Mm-hmm. And um, if it was and it was massively failing, like if it thought it was being like super serious and super innovative with its 65 million years ago, this is on Earth. I would have butted heads with it a little bit more. But the fact that it doesn't even like... Uh, contend with the question about is Adam Driver and this little girl are they even human? Are they 
another race? Are they supposed she, to be I, the first humans? I don't she, know. That, but it doesn't that didn't even bother me. Yeah, and that exactly. doesn't bother me at all that they didn't delve into that. I guess this is where I guess we fall into it. Whereas mm-hmm. you're giving them credit for seeing it as camp. I'm not. Right. I, I don't think they're in on this joke at all. Because them being in on this joke is what I wanted. And I mm-hmm. don't think they are. So then, like you say, when they go to conventions, you're like, oh, this is fine. I can go along with it. But I've already been like, oh, really? You're doing this? So when I've already got that in my head, when they're hitting all those conventional beats, I'm like, yep, and this is where they do the thing. And then mm-hmm. they do this. And it, it just sort of hits differently because... Like I said, I think we missing, we both interpreted sort of how they opened the film slightly differently. And I sure. think that sort of shades how you see the film as a whole, for better or for worse, I guess. And especially once like the big third act thing uh, is revealed, and I'm not, I'm not going to say exactly what it is, but it's also incredibly ridiculous. And I'm just kind of like laughing at the movie, maybe with it. But yeah. again, to me, it doesn't really matter because no. I, I'm on board just enough. Again, I don't think this is good, but like no. I didn't hate it like uh, a lot of other people seem to have. No, and that's why I mean, didn't like it because yeah. it never got me invested enough. Like hate requires, I think, a certain level of investment. Mm-hmm. Like active and i just was sitting there rolling my eyes for the most part um i didn't actively hate it i was just like yeah how much closer am i to being able to watch screen <laughs> and right. bored and um rolling my eyes and i think um the only time where i was able to have fun was the strawberry scene that was that was the one moment where i think they sort of touched on what was um possible and fun in this and then they immediately wrote it and move on to something else um to sort of go into what i was referencing they try to sort of do the last of us or logan type thing with a gruff guy who's trying to get over heartache you know find his heart again with this little girl surrogate daughter thing and it it doesn't work at all because they don't spend any time getting you invested with aside from the strawberries which i think is why it works for like two seconds they spend none of the time getting you invested in this main relationship for that to work at all well, it's funny you say that because that's the that's the other part that I actually kind of did buy into. Okay. Um, Adam Driver, I just think he's has such a high floor that even with such mediocre at best material, he's able to uh, elevate it just enough for me to be like, all right, I, he has this this sort of charm. He's like one of the biggest and uh, best movie stars we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and if our movie stars these days were like actually movie stars and not necessarily like Captain America and Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Adam driver, you know, he would be in that S tier. And because of that, I'm more invested oh. than I would be. And I think both, uh, I think the performances are all really good. I think mm-hmm. he's, I think he's perfect. Well, not really good, but they're fine. They're not yeah. 
they're sort of hampered by, like we said, the script doesn't really give them much to work with. Right, um, right. But they're fine. They're not the problem. Like, even his Earth... Well, not Earth daughter, because that's the girl we're with. <laughs> his home his, daughter. His home daughter, who oddly is part of... Um, Actors being in multiple movies for this month, which is yeah. weird because it happens multiple times. Because she'll be back uh, later we'll in get this back episode. In a few minutes. Yep. Um, but yeah, that relationship I sort of bought into, but I still didn't feel much of an emotional punch when it wanted me to. I think because right. I knew it was going cliche, because I knew, so I knew where this was going with that. And yeah, it, it was just a lack of buy-in, I guess, from beginning to end. That's fair. My last two very brief thoughts I'm going to say are, um, I did butt heads against the fact that the girl spoke a different language for some reason. And it seemed like that was only doing it to follow the convention of like Logan and the Mandalorian. And it um, only mattered when they needed it to matter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, she seemed to understand what he was saying well enough. That and the editing is pretty rough at times. Like, he's stuck in a cave. He can't get out. He needs to save her. But then she's fine. And next shot, he's out of the cave somehow. <laughs> it's like, magic. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you didn't establish this. This was the most dire thing he's come up against. But now he's completely fine. But yep. any any brief last thoughts for you before we move on? Nope, I think I've uh, hit everything. All right, Creed Three. Adonis has been thriving in both his career and family life, but when a childhood friend and former boxing prodigy resurfaces, the face-off is more than just a fight. Um, quickly, what uh, tweet length? Do you like the Creed slash Rocky franchise, and uh, were you excited for this going in? Uh, yes, I've seen all of them except the fifth. Uh, Creed may be my favorite Rocky movie. Um, and I thought Creed 2 was just okay. But I was still really excited for Creed 3 because I sort of liked where it seemed like they were going um, with this one based on the trailer. Me too. I'm a fan of the franchise. I actually did the the binge watch thing for the site where I saw all the Rocky movie. Well, I'd seen the first two, so I saw the rest of them for the first time. Um, so I was pretty excited going into this. And I think I loved it. Maybe low side of loved it, but I still really, really enjoyed this. Um, now that I think about it, I don't know what you thought. And by the face that you're making... Do no, you disagree. We're we're basically in the exact. I'm gonna okay. be, I'm gonna end the twins lower than you, because you were like I think I loved it, and I was I really wanted to mm. love it, but I don't think I can quite get there, because there's there's some really great things that I think uh, this movie is doing, but I think there's some. Uh, where it falls into franchise hallmarks, we'll say a little too much moments there where I'm just going to land on uh, the high side of really, really liked it. So Cool. So yeah, it sounds like we're about the same place. Um, though I did say that this is the best Rocky movie since Rocky 2, and I would have to watch it again, but I did actually really like it more than the first couple Creeds, which I would put... I would go Rocky one, then two, then Creed three at this point. 
Um, so that's how much I really liked it. I don't have a good enough sense on sure. where I rate the rest of the, the Rockies to know mm. exactly um, where I'd put it in the overall nine movie, right? Yes. Yeah, nine There's now. Six Rockies and then these three. But it, it'd definitely be, um, it'd be my second favorite Creed behind the first one. And like... Pretty well, even with the rest of the Rockies, because I think the rest of them are sort of the below um, Creed fighting. Sure. For, they're all fairly interchangeable. I find them pretty well enjoyable. So. Where I've always butted heads with the first two Creed movies is that I really love the character of Rocky, and um, just seeing him as a supporting player in the first two Creeds is was was kind of difficult for me to fully buy into the Donnie character. But this is the first time since Stallone isn't in this one that I was able to fully buy into Donnie. And I was surprised at how little I actually missed Rocky, even though I love him as a character. Um, I miss him more when I'm giving him in bite sized uh, because I want him at a, in a more substantial role. Uh, but here he I think it does a good job of focusing on Donnie and not being weighed down by the weight of the franchise. That That's interesting. Cause yeah, I've always, I really haven't had a, I've always bought in to the, um, the character and the storyline where I run into trouble with Creed two is the fact that it really is just Rocky four all over mm-hmm. again. Yeah. I'm like, ah, I just, yeah. So that's where I had the trouble, not too much the character, but just that it was just a re- basically a recycle of that movie again. Rocky sort of moving into the Mickey role in the first two creeds made sense to me, but I also agree, and I love Rocky, he's great, but I also agree, I don't miss him here, and I need mm-hmm. to go a step further and say that I think if he would have showed up at all, I think it would have been a detriment to the film because I don't show me where he has a spot in this story. He doesn't right. really fit in here. He's in Adonis is in LA. He's running his own business. Um, and this is really about his backstory, his past, his family, his sort of circle. So just, I think throwing Rocky in there either as a cameo or something less, just to say we've thrown Rocky in it, because you can't not have Rocky in a movie, would have been cheap and that would have made it I think even worse so I like that they sort of refrain from doing that I don't think he really has a spot in this movie right so and this movie picks up the tradition of this franchise by having the star be the director uh Michael B. Jordan I he's never directed anything he doesn't even have any like short credits on IMDb or anything and he I think it's great. It's very. It's almost surprising how good it is. I, between... I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Like, this is one of the reasons why I really wanted to be in the Loved It camp with you. Because I think some of the um, directorial stuff behind the camera is something that's really exciting. Particularly um, 
when it comes to the uh, final fight between him and Jonathan Major's character, mm-hmm. I'll just say the way they shoot the middle rounds of the fight, I thought was super creative and not like anything I'd seen in a boxing movie previously. And I thought it, and I think it would have been really easy for that um, to come off as a gimmick, but I think it really worked for the story that they were trying to tell, not only with the movie, but sort of with the fight itself, as far as what it meant uh, for the two characters and their relationship. I agree, and I'll take it a step further that that's cool, that's the flashy sequence, and it really works, and I agree with everything you just said, but I think the direction is even more impressive in some of the more quiet moments. Um, There are some some moments of staging, blocking, and lighting that really impressed me. Um, the use of color and the use of lights uh, is you don't always see in this sort of blockbuster, and that's kind of what I'm loving about what's going on right now in Hollywood blockbuster land. Anything in particular from some of those quieter scenes that sort of highlights what you what you're saying there? Yeah, there's one moment that in particular towards the middle where Jonathan Major's character is sitting like on the bench on one side of the frame um, in blue lighting and and Donnie is walking out on the other side and there's a wall separating the frame and he's walking out in like warm red lighting um, and the how it highlights their different character uh, traits yeah. is really cool. And then that moment is paid off nicely towards the end. I won't say how it is specifically, but... I, I really liked how that specifically, and then there are just other little moments throughout like that. That, that makes me even more excited because I completely missed that. Mm. Uh, and I'll be honest, I, they, I think because he co-wrote this as well, right? Was he a co-writer uh, on the story? Let me double check um, that right I, I want to say he was. But even if he wasn't, I think it might have been during one of these spots where I sort of checked out because I did check out every once in a while. I'm like, oh, we're doing that thing we have to do. We feel like we have to do for like a rocky thing. We got to hit these certain beats. And there were some story parts that sort of uh, brought it down a bit for me. One of my main issues is I feel like there was a lot more buildup for, um, I'll just say the middle fight in the story. Mm-hmm. Then there was sort of the quote-unquote climactic fight. It felt like, oh, the climactic fight happened, and boom, we're there. So um, I know it wasn't really that quick, but that felt rushed. Whereas we had, it felt like we had so much more buildup for for sort of the the fight that happened in the middle of the the movie, and that just sort of felt off to me. And getting from the second fight to the third one does feel a bit contrived. Also, just because like, oh, we got to do this and we'll do it this way. Um, it looks like Ryan Coogler, his brother, I think, and Zach Balin were the writers. Michael okay. B. Jordan didn't write it. Um, okay. Yeah, knew somebody famous had it. I just couldn't remember. Thank you. But yeah, it. and I liked some of the, I think the story was at its best when it was doing sort of interesting because just something I, I've enjoyed in general is some of the more visibility um, stories have given to deaf characters over the mm. 
past number of years. Obviously, uh, Tessa Thompson's character is deaf. We know that from the previous, uh, or is losing her hearing. Right, she's not quite fully deaf. Um, but the daughter they have um, is deaf, and I thought. That was fantastic. Um, I I loved her character. I think there's already been news that they're doing a spinoff with her character. And I am totally here for that. Because um, I really enjoyed um, sort of that character. The last thing I'll say is that I really like the uh, emotional and thematic center here. It felt a lot more like Goodwill Hunting than I ever would have guessed um, for a, for a yeah. Rocky or Creed movie. Um so, yeah, the relationship between Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan is a lot more nuanced and gentle than I was expecting based on the trailers. So, um, I he's like. Great. I mean, yeah. I know he's. I know he's. It's gotten a little more complex uh, recently, yeah. but like just looking at his performance, I thought him as a villain was uh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I said last month for Ant Man that. Jonathan Majors stood out because he's the only good performance in there besides maybe Michelle Pfeiffer. But um, I think the rest of the movie kind of fits around him better in this one. So he doesn't stand out as much, but yeah, he still is great. Um, any final thoughts on Creed? Uh, last thing, I guess I thought um, the way they handled the idea of masculinity and mm. just sort of talking about feelings, it was interesting for you know a rocky movie to sort of deal with that um and i thought it was an interesting thing to bring up i'm not sure how well that arc was sort of rounded off but um i just thought that sort of theme was an interesting one uh for them to try to address here yeah i like the layers in these movies Let's move on to Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. A charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a lost relic, but things go dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people. Uh, whoever wrote that synopsis probably took it out through thesaurus. Um, are you a D&D person? No, I am not. Okay, me either. Um, I'd mean, like to be maybe those, at some point. But, yeah, it's yeah. one of those things that always seems interesting. But like when I've tried, I know it's different, but when I've tried RPG video games, mm. like it's one of those things where the whole, I've been more interested in it in theory, and then I get <laughs> into it and I get bored way too quickly. And that's not something you can do when you commit to like doing a campaign. Sure. A com- campaign with other people as opposed to playing a video game by yourself. Right. Um, I so without my without any prior D and D knowledge or experience, I still liked the movie. Um, I thought it was fun, entertaining, and funny. Maybe not as quite as high um, of a of a peak as a lot of people are saying that it has, but I still think it's definitely good, and I definitely enjoyed myself. What about you? Yeah, uh, same. Uh, I really liked it as as well um and like you said sort of echoing a lot of the same it was one of the more entertaining and just flat out fun experience Mm -hmm. uh since i've had not only this month but sort of in the first quarter of this movie going year um i had a lot of fun with this and just to sort of step off sort of where we started um it 
does that great balance where it made me interested and I enjoyed my time in this world without having previously been uh, involved in Dungeons and Dragons. I can get, oh, they're doing a quest. They need these certain items. They've got these certain classes that they need for this quest that they're going on. And while I'm sure there were references and Easter eggs galore in this movie, right. they weren't Easter eggs that like hit you over the head where you're like, oh, I'm guessing that was an Easter egg. I have no idea what the Easter eggs were because they were put in so seamlessly. It's like, I'm sure people who know what they're talking about got it. And those of us who don't know the lore just kept enjoying the film without it losing a beat. And I think that's a really impressive balance to pull off. Yeah, it's a good it's a good line to walk. And I did see it with someone um who has lots of D D experience and they were like, Oh, it had this and this and this place is real and this item is the thing that we we talk about and I'm just like, Oh, cool. Good for you. And like you said, they were able to enjoy it. I was able to enjoy it. Um and Chloe Coleman is the daughter and she's the same. Yes. She's yeah. Adam Driver's biological daughter in 65. So there's, yeah. there's our first connection and, here. And then we'll connect with Hugh Grant, who I just, I love, like, I think it started with, I think, Man from Uncle, mm-hmm. like, and Paddington 2, and the gentleman, just this part of Hugh Grant's career where he just seems like he's having so much fun with the characters he's getting to choose. And he's just fantastic in this movie. And so is everybody else. Just the casting in general is spot on perfect. And it's funny because in all the marketing materials and interviews, you can tell that these actors couldn't give less of a crap about Dungeons and Dragons, but they're but they're fully buying in in their performances, and you can't you couldn't tell if you just watched the movie because like did you get the the thing where they greeted you and they said thanks for coming to the theater to watch yeah, it? Can we stop that? I think it's been long enough. I'm like we can we can stop that. Yes. <laughs> well, even still, it's funny just to see Hugh Grant sitting there being like, "Please enjoy Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves." I'm just like. Yeah. You wish you had never heard these these words in your life apart from the paycheck that it gave you. Well, and just to go off the ser- seriousness, um, like, even if they weren't big fans, because I haven't watched a lot of the media and marketing, but mm-hmm. they, they have their roles and they fill their roles. And what makes it so great is that they're just in their roles and they play their roles and they do it sort of straight for what the character is. They're not all straight men per se, but you know, if you, if you get what I'm saying, they all have their, their sort of character and they're never like winking at the camera with what they're saying. They're always, you know, acting in a way that feels like it would be true to whatever character uh, that has been created. Yeah, they do. This movie does a really good job. It's the same directors and writers as uh, Game Night, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. Mm. Does a good job of having distinct characters with distinct roles Mm. um, who add, again, distinct things to the movie. So, and that helps also make the, the action and the adventure part of it 
really entertaining and engaging because like a heist movie, and this is very much a heist movie, mm-hmm. they each have their role to help them get into the thing, to steal the whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's just fun watching all the different ways that they that they do it. Yeah, it's always A, easy to understand why they need these people and why they need the next thing they're going to get. I think it's structured really, really well that way. You you get why all the steps are necessary. Nothing feels like it's it's filler. It all feels yep, makes sense. Yep, makes sense. And uh, you mentioned that it's the same people from Game Night. There's mm-hmm. a couple, like the humor is obviously there, and that's right. one of the things that we've talked about and is great from Game Night. But I think in in some of the action scenes, I saw that as well, because there are a couple sequences that feel very um, eggy, if that makes sense. Um, I, I just think they do the same sort of thing in a, couple spots uh where it's they use sort of a very inventive way to to show their action which you know makes sense when you've got people like you said who's who are bringing you know different skills to the the fight yeah and they're doing using those skills in mostly like real sets there's obviously a ton of cgi because it's a high fantasy movie but uh the the setting is just really well done and you don't see that a lot in a lot of uh anything that anything that has cgi typically leans too much into the cgi but they used real sets for a lot of this here and it and it really shows even though i think at times the movie does overstay its welcome just ever so slightly i think it is a little bit too long um the last maybe three action sequences each time i thought okay this is the last one and then no, most a couple times there was just another one, but those are smaller nitpicks. Um, overall, I just kind of wished I laughed a little bit more. Uh, the most I laughed was I laughed a lot in that graveyard scene. That was easily my favorite part of the movie. Yep, that's um, the one I was going to highlight as well. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's perfect because it's it's one of those repetitive jokes that if you're not careful, it could get tired, but mm-hmm. it worked. Every time, and I, without getting too specific, I knew where it was going to end it, and so um, I was not disappointed. Yeah. Any last thoughts on D&D? Uh, I think just the one thing to play into your use of practical sets over CGI, that's mm-hmm. One of the things that holds me back a little bit is it felt at times, I don't know if it was a camera thing or a CGI thing, um, you could tell the CGI, the CGI showed a couple times. Other than that, minor corbel, like I said, lots of fun. Right. Yeah, I did I did notice some of the CGI, um, especially in that like uh, faked long take when she's escaping and changing into all the different creatures, the druids. Yes. Very um, noticeable there, yeah. Still a lot of fun. But John Wick, speaking of action, John Wick 4, so chapter 4. <laughs> John Wick uncovers a path to defeating the high table. But before he can earn his freedom, Wick must face off against a new enemy with powerful alliances across the globe and forces that turn old friends into foes. Jake, uh, like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, just okay. Uh, I was... In, like, I've enjoyed all of them. Uh, love the first two, really like the third. And I was in 
really liked it for a good chunk of the movie. Mm-hmm. But then the final act hit and it kicked it into high gear. Okay. And I loved this movie. Okay. I loved it. You were setting that up to be like, and then the final act hit and it disappointed me. And I was about no, to kick no. you off of this this meeting. Right, right right when the music hit, I'm like, from when the the it starts going in with the radio stuff, from there yeah. on, yeah. I was like, yes! So, yeah, it's fantastic. I love this. I think I'm right there with you then. Um, I don't, I, I like the first three to varying degrees, but this is the first one that I'm like, I really love this. I can't wait to rewatch it at some point. Um, like you said, once the radio hits, there are three straight action sequences at the end. It just goes from one to the next to the next. And then it still has that final showdown that isn't the same kind of action sequence, but like that is still in its own way. And it um, is a nice cap to the whole story. Yeah. I was just surprised that I was able to enjoy a John Wick movie this much. Uh, I loved it also. Um, it has a good mix of a lot of genres all while staying true to its uh, own identity that, that the franchise has built up over these four movies. Um, there are and some really I, fun action sequences. Yeah. yeah. And that's just to build off that. That's one of the things that I sort of like about it. You get a different sort of culture sort mm. of explored in each and sort of starting it off with the sort of starting it off as like a samurai type movie and bringing in the bow and arrows to start, I thought was a really interesting way to go. And it just makes it so, um, for the most part, we'll get to my one quibble. They can do action in a way that makes it seem like they're having fun and getting to invent new things, which for obviously everybody knows the directors used to be director used to be a stuntman. Right. It's just got to be so much fun for everybody just to sit around and choreograph. All right, how can we do something new here? And you can just tell everybody's having a blast uh, trying to figure out how all this would work. I did hear an interview with Chad Stahelski where he said that he like has filing cabinets of ideas for things he wants to put in action movies and like every time he goes to write a new one, he just goes to that and is like, "Oh, we can fit this into the story." And that's kind of where he, where he did uh, what he, where he came up with a lot of the ideas for this one. And I think that's awesome. I don't really know how I can, how to start a substantive conversation about this movie other than just being like, "Hey, remember that action sequence? That was awesome. Yeah. Hey, remember this yeah. one? That was awesome." That's that's what it is. Like right. it is a bunch of action set pieces. And it's just how how much you're willing to go with it. Like, when this movie isn't working in the brief where I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'm really liking it, but it's fine. It's when the action isn't quite working as well. Although there's, I think, something with the one of the character moments, I think. One of the characters, I think, that helps push me over the edge. But, like, when the action isn't working for me, it's when they're doing the suit thing again. Because everybody has a suit. So everybody needs to do the suit thing so they don't get hit by the bullets. And it was cool when it started. But I, I got a little tired of the suit thing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if, if you get tired of the action i don't know how you could but if you're somehow that sort of person i can see how this wouldn't work because it is quite a lot 
But also then you'd get to the parent Paris sequence and it's like, you can't get tired of this one because it's mm. not, it's finally like uniquely different from anything you've ever seen. What I do think sets us apart from the first three is I think there's more of a thematic or thoughtful center than there is in the first few where the first few were just like, he misses his wife and he's mad. They killed his dog. Mm. Um, it doesn't really interrogate what John Wick is doing, why he's still just killing hundreds and thousands of people. Um, and it gets into that a little bit. And I really appreciated it for that because when I saw this was going to be nearly three hours long, I was like, I don't know if I can take it for that long because I think the action in these movies is good. But the first one is like 96 minutes and it yeah. fits perfectly. It's not almost three hours. Um so building in that center to get you a re- to give you a reason to buy into all of it, I think was necessary and executed just well enough um, to make it, you know, worth your while and not make you uninvest. Even when the action kind of takes a lull, maybe towards the end of the second act before it gets to those last few. And I think both those things are where I think Donnie Yen really helps. Because I think having seeing that we have buy-in with the two people, not only John Wick, but the person they're nominally pitting up against, John Wick um, really helps. And having stakes from both sides, and and he's just so charismatic. So even when he's just talking, because Keanu's not very often, which is fine. But just having... Just, yeah, having Donnie Yen's character sort of liven things up a bit, I think really helps. Um, So I saw a Letterboxd review that I liked, and I wanted to look it up real quick. And it turns out it's your Letterboxd review that I wanted to reference about uh, for this, about saying how to make it fair for Donnie Yen, they've had to make him blind in two different action movies um, with this and in Rogue One. Well, and... Side note on that, I was watching like the little Donnie Yen goes through his iconic characters for mm. GQ. Yeah. And I don't know about this character. This seems like it was more a story thing, just sort of generically. Uh, in Rogue One, it was Donnie Yen's idea. He was just, he was like, oh, we should make this character funny. So he made it fun. Oh, you know what would make this better? Make this character blind and just have him see through the force. I think that would be cool. So there you go. Uh, that was his idea. Yeah, I just think it's awesome that two of the biggest action franchises in history are like, you know, if it's a fair fight between these two people, even as great as Keanu is, and yeah, we know they've got the force and lights in it, but it's Donnie Yen. We we gotta give him. We gotta give him some form of hope. Otherwise, it's over. I, I say my one quibble with this movie is I know it's a heightened reality and I know you're not supposed to pick nits about this sort of thing. And I know it's an action movie and all this kind of stuff, but there are only so many times that someone can fall out of a, the window of a building or off of the second floor or get hit by a car before I'm like, all right, <laughs> you shouldn't get up again. Yeah. And here's, this is going to sound hypocritical of me. And I get that. I don't know how my brain works sometimes. <laughs> And that was part of the reason that the third one doesn't hit as well, because it felt like they left you at the end with something that felt like it might have dropped the shark slightly when you have falling off a however many story building 
that is on the end and hitting every single thing he could on the way out and being alive in this movie. It started doing that again. Really? How can he fall from that in a club? And it's really, we're doing that again. And then at a certain point, it's like the rule about jokes. Just keep doing it over and over again. And it becomes funny again. Just keep having him do unbelievable crap and surviving. And it, It'll cease to bother me again. Yeah, it didn't take away, you know, it didn't make me like bump it down two and a half stars or anything like that. But it was still just like, all right, if I have to pick one thing to to quibble with, it's that. Let's move on to Operation Fortune. Special, special agent Orson Fortune and his team of operatives recruit one of Hollywood's biggest movie stars to help them on an undercover mission when the sale of a deadly new weapons technology threatens to, dis- to disrupt the world order. Uh, this movie's okay. And reading that just reminds me of why I think it's just okay, because that's where I always find issue with Guy Ritchie movies. And that's with just like, it is so over expositioned and there are like so many extra, like he tries to make a globe trotty and it's just like, they're all over the place. So many characters, so many names, so many things, so many MacGuffins. Um, And I don't think he's quite there in this one, at least Um, it's fun, but I think it's, Okay. Yeah, I think this is where the fact that uh, I'm even more, I, aside from, like, the King Arthur movie, which mm-hmm. is just, uh, <laughs> and, like, I've just, every, all of his new stuff has been fine at worst, and the fact that I'm just here for all these, like, this, the last, what, 15 years of Guy Ritchie movies, I think is where I can at least land and liked it uh, mm-hmm. for me because I just have fun with how he's telling stories and how he's making his movies that I, I'm going to agree with all the words you probably have with this movie, but I just have enough fun with how he tells this type of story that yeah. I, I was like, God, I liked it. This, this is a fine movie. It's nothing more. That, is that not a bad movie? Is that the greatest thing you've ever seen? It's fine. And I, I enjoyed myself. So. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Because I yeah, I definitely don't dislike it because um when you have Jason Statham, Josh Hartnett, Hugh Grant, um, Aubrey Plaza, all of them, it's and Guy Ritchie directing them comedically at least, it's difficult to say that it's bad. Um, because it's definitely not. But But that um, was one of the things that I found was weird though. And I just wanna see where you're at with sort of the performances. Because like mm-hmm. I said, Hugh Grant was I liked him again because I like his turn. This might have been a little too... Like, I know he's way over the top in The Gentleman, too. And that's another guy, Richie. I don't know that this one worked quite as well for me. I still liked the performance. The mm-hmm. one that oddly didn't work for me, which is weird because this should be a match made in heaven, and I'm not sure it is. Aubrey Plaza I'm gonna doesn't agree. really yeah. work with, you, with me. Okay. Um... Do you have any idea why that is? Because I'm, I'm not sure, because it should be a match that works, and I just don't know why it doesn't. Well, I'll start with Hugh Grant real quick, and I'll yeah. disagree with you just a little bit and say that I actually like him more in this than I did in Dungeons & Dragons. Um, okay. 
his relationship I, with Josh Hartnett is my favorite part of the movie. Um, I, I wrote in my review um, romance with a B in parentheses at the beginning because I, it's almost more of a romance than a bromance between them. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Aubrey Plaza. I don't know. I had, I hadn't given that too much thought, but it's a good point. Maybe it's just because she has her very specific brand of American self-deprecating dry wit where Guy Ritchie has his British kind that is very vulgar and over the top where she's not, I don't think her vulgarity really works the same way that uh, Ritchie's well, does. And yeah, that that's a good point. The, the vulgarity might be part of it. And the other thing I was thinking just as you were talking, it might just be that deadpan doesn't mm-hmm. really work as much because it's all about the wink and the nod with the, with the, because they're both dry humors. Right. They're both sort of dry. But maybe there's a wink and the nod that you need with a guy, Richie, that the dryness or that the more deadpan of the Aubrey Plaza doesn't really have because there's no inflection. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it. Though I will say she, I think she made me laugh the most, even though I, overall I don't think she worked in one particular scene when there's just a really funny edit as she's talking to someone over the, you know, over their communication devices. <laughs> there's just like a really funny edit. Um, so that was my favorite moment of the movie. Um, lastly, I do think it's missing something in the action. It shows a, an incredible glimpse at the end where like there's a camera on Jason Statham's gun as he's running through like this compound. That's really cool. But the rest of it is just kind of your typical cut on cut on impact and you know you can see it well enough it's not bad but it's just like when you show me a flash i want more of that yeah and that's where i sort of get brett with liking the style because that's a lot of the stuff he did with man from uncle Mm too with creative ways he shot the action and yeah we do get a taste of that too in this particularly at the end and he he knows how to bring his movies to a satisfying climax um when it comes to how he shoots the action action wise yeah i think narratively it it's just too big like, yeah narrative it's like all right fine he, he started like, with like bridge mob it. and now this yeah. is literally world ending stakes and it's like yeah. this is a bit too much for me yeah. let's, let's move on to scream six um in the next installment the survivors of the ghost face killings leave woodsboro behind and start a fresh chapter in new york city um, let me ask you quickly again, like we do with Creed, uh, tweet length, the history with the Scream franchise, um, and were you excited for this one? Uh, yeah, scene one, really liked it. Saw the reboot because it was getting a bunch of buzz. Mm-hmm. Really liked that too. So I'm like, yeah, I'm in. It, so you haven't seen great. the middles? No. Okay. Which we'll talk. I we'll talk about. I get. I got after the fact, you know, because there was a, sort of like we talked about with D&D, like you're like, oh, I didn't feel like I needed to be a D&D fan. I knew exactly where they were pointing back to. I'm like, oh, you're from one of the other things. Mm-hmm. I, I can totally understand that. And that was good enough for me. I I didn't have the context, but that didn't bother me very much. Yeah, I um, have seen all of them twice. And each of them 
you know, I watched them every couple of weeks leading up to the release of this one. Um, so it was definitely a good thing to have a refresher on my part. Um, though I, apparently you can enjoy it without it. Um, actually, did, did you like it then? I don't think you did. I don't know if you said no, it. No, I, I didn't say I loved this movie for the first half, maybe two thirds. And it falls off a bit at the end. Yeah. But I still had a lot of fun with this movie. Because I think, um, like I said, I don't have a sense for like the middle sequels, how that sits. But I just feel like they have a really good sense on what to do with this franchise right now and how to make it right now. I mean, right. I think I, they've got a really good sense of how this franchise works in 2023. So I also liked it, but I think at the low side, because oh. I I had a very good time. Um, okay. Because I think it's definitely a very entertaining movie, especially the yeah. opening. I think the apart opening from the first yeah. movie, I think it's my favorite opening in any Scream okay. movie. I'm going to compare this again to Creed. I very much missed the main trio, especially having watched one through five in the lead up to this, not having Sidney Prescott. Um, and Dewey having obviously died in the fifth one and barely having any Gale. It feels more like The Force Awakens than, I don't know, than Scream yeah, 5 even. Obviously, I, like I said, I don't, have, I don't have the history, but I didn't mind how much uh, Courtney Cox was in it. That, that was fine. They, they had a story reason why mm. she was in it less that made sense. Because A, it made sense why they wouldn't want her around as much. Yeah. This core four. And I think why she did it, why her character did what she did, which made them angry at her, also made sense for the character. But yeah, the not having Sydney um, did hurt me as well, I think. But I think it's just because... I came in with the baggage of knowing why they didn't, which is they didn't yeah. want to pay her. So that just sort of leaves a sour taste in you about when they when they name check her, like, yeah, this is why she can't be in the movie. No, you just didn't want to pay her. And right. that just feels a little like little icky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um because narratively it makes perfect sense that after five movies after five encounters with Ghostface, that she would stay as far the hell away from any new iteration of Ghostface as she could but in that case i almost want them to not make a scream movie <laughs> because the or another scream movie without her because she is the heart of these movies to be or at least her relationship with the other main characters yeah. and like <sighs> One of the other things is, uh, I think we both said it falls off a bit at the ending. Yeah, and something 100%. I hadn't thought about until you started talking about this. It also makes the ending make even less sense than it did before. Because, I mean, obviously, there's a reason they're going after the core four. Right. But her lack of involvement, once she's in it, doesn't make sense for the end of the movie really either does it i don't think so i but, understand why she's not but maybe not why ghostface doesn't want to encounter yeah. her if that's what you mean yeah okay um but 
like where I wasn't loved it, and why I think it, I think the quote unquote core four is like mm-hmm. joking. I think the interactions work, and when we were getting the interactions with all of them in the first two thirds, first half, before it's like, oh yeah, we got to do the scream thing again, yeah. is when I think this movie is really um, singing for me. And I loved that part of this movie. Well, I, I'll say that I think since Wes Craven hasn't been involved, uh, rest in peace, is uh, have these movies kind of lost their narrative oomph. So part of what's so compelling about one through four is that like Dewey, Gale, and Sydney, they're not always like core four, like we always love each other, we're always out to protect each other. There's always like a bit of tension between them. Um, so I think it's missing something by having that. And okay. it also makes the mystery just I'll say it, the mystery was bad. <laughs> like the yes. the who done it part of it. I put I the first four movies, I never predicted who the killer or killers were. Um, but in five and six, I've done it within the first 20, 25 minutes. And it frustrates me because I try not to do it. But I, like they telegraph them so easily. Um, these new directors make the movie more gnarly um, and a little bit less self-aware and meta. Um, because the meta feels obligatory instead of being the driving force behind the whole thing. Which it, which kind of makes these last two feel a lot different than the other four. Okay. Yeah, the commentary didn't bother me as much because I guess with my understanding, like, I know that's what they are, so I, I just enjoy that part. Mm-hmm. The gruesomeness did bother me. Going back to our John Wick thing, we're not quite at the point. We're at the John Wick 3 part of this at the moment, where we're not at the point where I'm just going to throw up my hands and go, fine. Like, (laughs) there's stuff in this movie that I was at the, in the in this movie where I'm like, no! 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 I don't no, I get this. This is heightened reality. You are not telling me that this uh, very specific character uh, survived this ordeal. Not buying it. It's it's the super over the top one. If you if you get my drift. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, no. And they're like, oh, I'm back now. No, you're not. You're not back at all. So, yeah, that was just one of the other spots that sort of lost. That's also the hallmark of the Scream movies, because I think Dewey has been stabbed like 19 times throughout the course of the series. Um, But, yeah, there is a line. Um, I think the last thing I'll say here about Scream 6 is that they make a big deal about how we're in New York City now. Mm -hmm. And apart from there being a showdown in an alley at the beginning. Um, and apart from the subway sequence, I don't think it uses the setting nearly to quite the advantage that it could have. Um, the subway, I'll say the subway scene is great. Yeah. Um, that works really well. But besides that, it's just like they happen to be in New York city instead of like New York city informing why they're doing things. Well, I think the media stuff works there. Like showing how social media would, take off and but that could have been any city right yeah but the 
the massive people helps it, I think. And for my last thing, I'll just cede my time to you because I think there's one aspect of this that I want to make sure we touch on that Mm -hmm. I can't touch on. We touched on the, uh, uh, you know, bringing back characters and the the legacy character that I found out after the fact was in it um, from a previous movie. Uh, Is that a spoiler? Before I get into that, the legacy character who comes back, is that a spoiler? Do you mean Kirby? Like, yeah. And I don't think it's a spoiler. She's in the trailer. Okay. Oh, all right. Uh, how did that work for you? Because I obviously haven't seen the movie she's in. I mean, it was fine. I'm like, oh, you're probably from another thing. That's fine. She's in Scream 4, which was, I think, in the 2010s mm-hmm. as a high schooler. And now she's back. And that's, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah. Yeah. I, it didn't move me in one direction or another. I'm just like, oh, cool. She's she's fine. Yeah, I don't have strong feelings about her character. I think it's good enough. Scream 6, okay, not as great as the others. Let's move on to our last movie, Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Uh, the film continues the story of teenage Billy Batson, who, upon reciting the magic word, Shazam!, is transformed into his adult superhero alter ego, Shazam! Uh, Jake, like it, love it, just like it, hate it. <laughs> just okay. You you said you're Shazam in exactly the tenor of my feelings on this movie. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's okay. I felt nothing. I don't know if that's the outside world creeping in, because I did really like the first Shazam. I did. I really liked it. I don't see all the DC movies. I see the ones that interest me. I saw that one. Probably would have seen this one, even if I wasn't on the pod. I like this one. I don't know if it's the outside world creeping in, knowing none of this matters, or (laughs) if it's just that they walked a really tight rope in the first one and did it really well and they just can't do it in this one i'm not sure what the culprit is but it it, it's just that well here's the thing i thought the first one was just okay everyone was raving about it and then i saw it i was like really this is what we're raving about just because it's a different tone than the batman and superman in the dc universe it was fine and to be fair shazam one is is fine. It's really good. I had fun. It's not like, oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, Fair. Sure. Well, I'm definitely lower than that. And when it comes to Shazam: Fury of the Gods, I hated it. I saw it with a, a friend who I haven't, who I hadn't seen in a while. Um, if I hadn't seen that friend for the first time in a while, I think I would have. It would have been a f- full waste of an afternoon <laughs> going out to the movies, um, because I'm just completely losing my patience for these superhero movies that aren't putting any effort into it. Um, And even Ant-Man I talked last month, I thought there were some redeeming qualities. Like I like the fact that it focused on the family and all that kind of stuff. But I literally didn't see anything in Shazam 2 that I thought was redeemable. Um, Between the the direction and the writing for the character, like the superhero version of Shazam and Zachary Levi's performance of it, I just could not stand him. It was just downright awful. Um, You never see the kids. 
and when you do, they're a completely different personality than the superhero version of the kids, especially the Billy Batson Shazam uh, character. It has nothing to say. The action isn't engaging, creative, or interesting. The CGI isn't good enough to be like, all right, that was good. And it was like, if you're going to destroy a uh, a baseball stadium, can you choose like a stadium that isn't very good instead, <laughs> instead of Citizens Bank Park? Uh, so all, all of that to say, the lesson's obviously a joke. All that is to say, I thought it was just a garbage waste of time. And I agree with you on some points. The, the CGI doesn't look great. I don't know if it was the joke played out for one movie. Everything was just, it didn't hit as hard. And like the jokes, some of them, I think some jokes land, some don't. I was like, eh. like the Fast and the Furious joke makes no sense yeah. when you're when you have Helen Mirren in your movie. <laughs> I didn't like, even think of that. That's right. <laughs> I'm not the only. I'm not the first one to point it out. But I like. I think people pointed out since the trailer came out. Mm-hmm. But it's just like what it was hit or miss on the jokes. I think what it's trying to say is about it's about letting go, but I don't know that it does enough. With that theme, did it brings it up much? in the very beginning and then, and then doesn't the very... acknowledge it again until like yeah. for two minutes at the end and then forgets it for like the very ending. Yeah. And um, I agree that the best people in this are the kids. Mm-hmm. Like the standout performance are still the kids. Um, Faith Hansen, who plays uh, young Darla, mm. is just yeah, delightful. But we get her for two minutes. And um, I think. Jack Dylan Grazer, again, is great with a caveat. Okay. He is great when he's not with Rachel Zegler. Not that the chemistry didn't work. I just didn't think his character worked with her. If that delineation doesn't make sense. When he's not with her, I think he's great again. But... And he's doing his thing with the with other characters and stuff. But yeah, the the romance that they try to sell between these two, I don't, I didn't work for me. But most of it is with her or him pining over her. You know, it's. I I agree that part doesn't work, but I think it's more pronounced than than what you're saying. Um, yeah, I genuinely don't really have anything else to say about this because I. There was nothing it about matter. it. That, yeah. Nobody saw it. They're rebooting the whole universe. It's losing all of the 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 only Zachary thing, Levi is being embarrassing on social media, just like dude, every like the the best thing about the movie is the inside stories we're getting about how basically the the rock tanked the entire <laughs> DC universe. So instead of going to see the movie, if you haven't seen the movie yet, just go read the inside stories and save yourself about an hour and a half. It was funny though. Asher Angel, who plays young Billy Batson, Mm -hmm. he liked a tweet about how Zachary Levi's version of Shazam is like immature and, and uh, takes away from what he's doing (laughs) with the character. So it's fun. There's even more behind the scenes drama on Twitter. Um, I, I just think that's great because I, genuinely just couldn't stand Zachary Levi in this at all. Um, yeah, let's let's move on. Those are all the movies that we have. Yeah, bad movie. 
you you liked it. That's fine. I'm not saying. I thought it was. Yeah. Oh, you talking about people in general, not me. I'm like, no, I didn't like it. If if you liked it, fine. Have fun. I wish like <laughs> I wish I could have enjoyed it. I just didn't care anymore. Yep. So each of us have one more movie that wasn't on wasn't on the schedule. wasn't one of the bigger ones that we wanted to talk about. Uh, what's your movie? First, a question. Uh, sure. What do you know about uh, Yankees Hall of Famer Reggie Jackson? Uh, too much. <laughs> As a Red Sox fan, too much. Uh, but yeah, it was, um, for me, I'm, I'm a baseball fan, always been a fan, but like, even as a kid growing up, you're like, oh, Mr. October, the guy who hit all the home runs in the World Series. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, later you learned he also played for the athletics at one point. I'm like, oh, okay. And then that's it. And you don't remember <laughs> really anything else which is why i thought reggie on amazon prime was a really interesting uh documentary uh because it's about reggie jackson and it sort of it looks at him on the yankees and him on the in his career on the baseball field but it's more so off the baseball field and looks at it goes into civil rights and racism, and, like, Kurt Flood gets brought up when it comes to free agency. Uh, people, I, I think I'd forgotten, Reggie Jackson was a part of that first class of free agents. It's why he's on the Yankees. Um, and it was just interesting to sort of, it's a Hall of Famer, but a guy I really didn't know much about besides the whole Mr. October thing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of last dancey. He, he talks a lot to the camera. He talks to um, former teammates uh, and former legends, which was interesting. Hank Aaron makes an appearance. Oh. Uh, he's now passed. So that was a little bittersweet. Yeah. Uh, but it was just, it's an interesting uh, conversation about sort of the issues these people faced, um, or black players faced, or uh, players in that era faced. Um, and it's sort of interesting because a lot of times I get gets boiled down to, oh, racism in baseball was over with Jackie Robertson yeah. broke the color barrier. And that is most certainly That's not, how it was. not the case. So um, it's, it's just a really... Um, interesting watch if you like baseball or if you just like stuff about civil rights and uh and the 60s you know through the the 80s and that sort of era i think it's a really interesting study nice i think i've seen you and a couple other people talk about this doc and it's definitely on my watch list i'd like to get to it at some point my movie is murder mystery 2 very different than The Last Dance, or very different than Reggie. Uh, has nothing important to say. Um, <laughs> it, the, the, the most important cultural figures are, are not people who uh, encountered intense racism at some of the worst points in our country, but are Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. Um, I think I like the murder mystery movies more than most people, and I don't even like them that much. But... <laughs> um, Murder Mystery 1 is fine and it's fun and Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston have great chemistry and 
Um, Sandler isn't being stupid in these movies. He's just kind of, you know, he's not being his, you know, the stupid of his worst tendencies. He's being stupid yeah. of maybe uh, his middlest tendencies. And for him, for his legendary comedic actor as he is, that's pretty good. Um, of course, the mystery element of this one is just not good, but that's fine because it's you're not expecting Knives Out in Murder Mystery 2. You're expecting Adam Sandler to talk, to say some jokes about how he likes eating the cheese and, and that sort of thing. I, I just think these two people have a lot of uh, charisma and chemistry and it just shows on screen and they're an hour and a half. And if you like them even at all, I think it's worth throwing on like on a Friday night. If you have nothing else to do, nothing else to watch, just be like, I want something lighthearted. Let me watch Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston be silly for an hour and a half. Um, maybe 40% of the jokes land, but again, I don't care. It's, it's good enough. And I enjoy these movies for what they are. Interesting. It's, it's, it's not something that's going to get me to invest my time. And I'm like, <laughs> the first one came and they're like, eh, it's all right. I'm like, eh. Just not interested. Um, I have one more question for you. Since we're since we're now at the beginning of April as we record this, and we've had um, what a quarter of the year go by, mm-hmm. a quarter of the movie year go by. Um, what has been your favorite movie of the year so far? I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but what's your favorite movie of the year at this point? Uh, yeah. What yours first? Well, I double check what my answer is. Sure, I'll say mine. Mine is easily John Wick. Um, it was over. My, my favorite movie of the year was overtaken twice this month. I came in with it being Knock of the Cabin. Then it became Creed 3. And then John Wick 4 overtook that. Um, so I'm, I'm finally happy to have like a solid month with a couple really good movies that I'm glad, um, you know, have a good chance of making my top 10 or 15 at the end of the year. Yeah, you said that. And I... Um... I'm like, oh, yeah, duh, that's the answer. Yeah, the answer, <laughs> um, I mean, for feature films, the answer is sure. John Wick. Because I think if if we got to stretch that definition, a short is probably my answer. But yes, for theatrical releases, John Wick is by far um, my favorite. Yep, I've said this the last couple months now, but I hope the rest of the year kind of improves. Um, because it's been fairly middling so far. But that's fine, because we got John Wick Chapter 4, and we have Mission Impossible 7 coming. So uh, I'm holding out hope for the rest of the year. Um, quick reminder that Sif Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. You can also find Jake um, on social media. Jake, where, where can people find you on social media if they want? Sure. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Jake underscore B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S or Letterbox at the letter J and then the last name again, B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S. Nice. And you can find me at the same two places, Twitter underscore Rob's Thoughts, Letterbox Robert's Thoughts. And if you're interested in writing for SifPop.com and joining me and Jake and the rest of the J's and the rest of uh, the Sif Pop writers, or if you would want to just get in contact us uh, with us, then email us at writersroom at sifpop.com. You can join me next month as I talk with Sif Pop writer, Sif Pop staff writer Shane to discuss some of the biggest movies of April. And on Wednesday, uh, Aaron, but not that Aaron, will be back with your regularly scheduled 
uh, writer's room episode. So until next time, we have to get back to the writer's room.